Welcome to episode two of The Route. Today's episode is going to be esports focused. The reason for this is the current landscape we're in. Considering the pandemic that's taking place, all traditional sports are really shut down. So there's only one real show in town, and that's esports. So with that, I decided to bring on a guest. He's based in Australia. He's extremely involved with esports. He's going to talk about how he got involved, what they're currently doing in the sport, and where he sees the sport going in the future. So just building on the current landscape that we're in now, we're seeing a lot of those teams whose seasons have been postponed, like the NBA or NHL. And you're seeing these teams really trying to stay relevant in the conversation of sport. So they're trying to do various things to still engage their fans. So you're seeing teams in the NHL, like the Montreal Canadiens, Arizona Coyotes, and the Washington Capitals, to name a few, where they're still playing their games on NHL 20. So rather than having nothing on and people kind of itching for that hockey, they're going on YouTube and you can see Montreal playing the Senators rather than just not having anything on. And then it's building on that in terms of players. You're seeing players in NBA where they're setting up a tournament amongst themselves where they're playing against each other and they're having an NBA 2K tournament to see who's the best among them. And then back to the NHL, you're seeing players like Mitch Marner of the Maple Leafs who's kind of collaborating with different streamers on YouTube, such as Nasher, and they're playing together and really putting different types of content and really building their brand from there with things off the ice. With that, I think I'm going to wrap up the esports discussion on my end there just because I'm not an expert in the field and today's guest actually is. So with that, let me set up the guest, kind of give you a little introduction of who he is, and then we can get right into the interview. So today's guest is Dave Harris. He's based in Sydney, Australia, and he's currently the managing director of the Guinevere Capital Group. So what they do there is they're involved with various esports teams, and he's also a chairman on a number of them. Additionally, he's an executive producer of the Next Gamer TV show down in Australia. You can find that on YouTube or uh, just by searching them on Google. And additionally, you can find them on Twitter at Dave Harris AUS. So that's on Twitter at Dave Harris AUS. And that's kind of the perfect segue of how Dave and I got connected. So this whole podcast is about people's routes and how you can kind of expand your network and meeting new people and all that good stuff. So just kind of a perfect example of doing this is just reaching out to someone on Twitter, which is what I did to get Dave on today. So I think I had a mutual follower or maybe I suggested to him. I clicked follow. He followed me back, sent him a quick note saying, hey, I'd love to speak to you. And the connection starts from there. So it's something that's so easy that a lot of people, including myself, didn't do initially when I wanted to get into sports, but it's something that I think everyone should try and even use Twitter as a, a tool to build your network because it's much more useful than you may think. And with that, let's get into the interview. I'd now like to welcome the ultimate guest from cricket to football to rugby to esports. It's my pleasure to introduce Dave Harris. Thanks for joining our podcast and how are you? I'm good, I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Obviously, it's a... Uh... Bit of a challenging backdrop in the world at the moment and uh, plenty of time at home. So, yeah, it's great to connect with people over the world and, and have a chat. Absolutely. And I, I thank you for taking the time to speak with us. Um, just to, to start, I'm, I'm so interested in your route. I was kind of doing some research ahead of time. And as I kind of mentioned how you worked in all these different sports, do you mind maybe providing a little background about who you are 
and then kind of getting into more depth about your whole career path and how you started off as a physiotherapist? Yeah, sure. So I'm, um, I'm based in Australia um, and uh, I have worked all over the world since, but I was, uh, I was reasonable at sport when I was growing up, but uh, not quite good enough to make it the top level at, at anything as a, uh, as a player or a, an athlete. So I, um, I moved into into physio to this is the next best thing still got to uh, go to all the big events and and travel around the world and then um yeah uh, we can talk about my career but it sort of transitioned out of sports medicine into sports business and then uh yeah out of uh, out of core esports or of core traditional sports into into esports so it's been a um yeah it's been a, a really interesting journey and uh yeah i always like taking on new challenges and uh that's a great thing about this industry there's always a uh, something new to try and take on yeah, for sure. And you kind of touched on how you were in sports medicine before. And I know that you're more in esports now and you're in management. Do I maybe touch on how it's advantageous to you to have worked in all these different sports and different markets and how it may help you now? Yeah, definitely. And uh, it's when you start your journey, you never know where it's going to end up. But I always take it as every every role you take, every job you take, you, you do learn something and you, you don't know where it's going to be applied later on. But um, yeah, it's amazing how these sort of things all all, all come together. So um, yeah, I, I guess in in sports medicine, it was uh, I was on, on field physiotherapist for a, a number of teams in Australia, Australian Football League and um, the National Soccer League as it was back then, um, and then had experience in the international cricket, Sri Lanka with the Sri Lanka cricket team, and then time in Europe in sort of rugby, um, uh, Premier League football, uh, football league teams. Um, I think understanding that performance um, angle, particularly at the top level, does does really help, um, particularly in in uh, in sports or esports where sometimes things are, are are quite siloed and people are very focused on on marketing or social media or or, or the actual performance side. When you've had experience across all the different um, all the different functions, I guess it, it does help a lot. So I guess spending so much time with professional uh, athletes. Um, one-on-one in the change room, on tour, on the bus, etc. I feel like I've got a, a sort of a, a good understanding of their, I guess, of their mentality in the situation, which means you can be um, empathetic when you're sort of uh, a little, little, bit, little bit further removed making making business decisions. So, yeah, I, I love my time as a as a physio, um, sort of doing the on-field stuff and, and being doing the training in the day-to-day. But um, I think it's got a limited limited lifespan i think you can actually move through the ranks very quickly in that space but um yeah after 10 years sort of on the road and touring with teams um yeah i felt like i'd achieved everything i wanted to on that stage but um saw a lot of things that could be done better in the sports business side so that's when i did the um mba at oxford and and transitioned across into into sports business yeah so that's actually something i was just going to ask you now was there anything specific that made you want to change from sports uh medicine to sports management business um i absolutely loved my time there but uh, yeah i'd done it for about 10 years um and yeah again it's when you're young it's fantastic being on the road all the time and touring and going to new countries and um yeah getting to hang out with a a bunch of young players etc but uh, i guess you hit a stage in life where um where that's um not necessarily sustainable um and uh, I guess the other thing was from the uh, economically, it used to annoy me. Uh, I was getting working players getting paid more than a week than I was getting paid in a year. Um, <laughs> so uh, there was a, probably a cap to the uh, to the uh, upside on, on your on your earning potential. Um, and I've always been quite entrepreneurial, so um, yeah, I, I sort of wanted to actually sort of move into the into the business side. And then I, I guess 
after that step of moving into sports business and, and working for both sort of governing bodies, I worked for was a general manager at National Rugby League in in Australia, etc., as well as working at a club level. Um, yeah, I, I sort of got frustrated with uh, just the uh, lack of ability to innovate sometimes, and so that's when I sort of got to the point where I felt like you actually needed to own the club, not have to get past a, a CEO or a board to, to really make an impact. So, so that's when I sort of started Guinevere Capital, my, my own sports investment business, to really try and set up some best practice examples of, at that time, traditional sports teams. But um, but we just saw the opportunity in esports, which is the new environment, and that's where we've uh, ended up today. Sure, yeah. And do you mind maybe touching on what maybe intrigued you about esports and what made you guys go down that route? Yeah, so this was back in 2016. Um, and I, I just Everyone has that aha moment where they sort of scratch the surface of, of esports and just see the numbers and just realise how big it is. Um, so I probably saw it as a competitive threat when I was in, in traditional sports. But um, I, I think back then when we got in, it was just, I was banging the drum, hey, saying, hey, everyone, we should be looking at esports. Um, now everyone's heard of esports. There's a, there's a lot of hype around it, but I think people still don't understand it um, potentially as well as they should. They, they get excited about it, but um, yeah, don't really uh, get, the, get the nuances of it. And, and obviously with the, the current situation, all of a sudden it's really coming to the forefront is potentially the uh the only show in town but but back then it was yeah i guess it was one it was just the, the raw numbers the viewership numbers that are out there and two it was my view of where traditional sports had to move to um there's obviously linear television um is is, is declining there's cable cutting advertising revenues dropping off etc um so yeah i thought the model was going to have to move a move away from the i guess the, the, the fox sports whoever buying up Exclusive rights and using that to to drive um, subscriptions to to cable channels, etc. To the uh, the esports model, which is sort of mass distribution through um, through digital uh, environment, and then and then finding other ways to to commercialise um, all those eyeballs. Which, to be honest, the, the commercialisation part hasn't really been nailed yet. But I think it's just the the way um, the world's moving into this environment, and and the esports is at the forefront of it. Yeah, absolutely. I've actually been trying to do my own research of my own trying to figure out more about esports because I do respect it and I know it's going to be the future of sport. And I was actually been debating about various people of why all teams should kind of be streaming, whether it's simming an NHL a hockey game on YouTube or something like that. But everyone should kind of be involved, especially when everything's died down. Kind of like how you said, it's kind of the only show in town right now. So do you mind maybe kind of touching on what you guys are doing in these times where there's nothing really going on except esports? Yeah, and so I guess to, to wind it back a bit, so our involvement in esports, we own a um, four or five of the the top teams in Australia. Um, esports uh, is like sports, where you've got so tennis, cricket, football. You've got, you've got Dota two, you've got League of Legends, you've got Overwatch in, in esports. So we've got teams in most of the major titles in this region, and we have a a, a training facility called the Esports High Performance Centre in the Sydney Cricket Ground, which is on the major stadiums over here. So our whole model is bringing together the traditional sports and the, and the sports model. And then we've replicated that over in, in Europe, um, in UK, which similar to Australia was a little bit behind the rest of the world, but we're, we're trying to sort of um, be a first mover in that space. So we have a facility in Twickenham Rugby Stadium, which is one of the major stadiums in London. We have a team, Excel Esports, which is in the League of Legends European Championships, which is one of the major franchise leagues over there. Um, it's quite public. There's, there's got 10 million euro buyer in, so it's, it is actually sort of stepping up into those big leagues. Um, so esports is 
was originally uh, very much online um, and just a, a bunch of people sort of um, uh, playing from home. And then we sort of moved through to the studio and then the stadium events moving towards the traditional sports model. Um, and then, yeah, obviously everything started happening. And a few weeks ago, uh, esports leagues got shut down along with um, along with everything else. But um, I guess what we've done is just pivoted back to the old school model and just re rewound the clock a couple of, couple of years to back where to when we was we were operating online. And um, so now we're back to uh, the, the old method, the old method where um, yeah, everyone's playing from their own sort of team houses or training facilities, and the um, um, the production is is done remotely, um, and so there's commentators and casters sort of um, coming over the top talking about uh, what's happening. But the, sort of the League of Legends European Championships at the moment is was usually done out of one single facility in Berlin. Uh, now it's sort of been patched together from fourteen different um, fourteen different places around um, around Europe. So it, it's great that we can actually sort of pivot back to the model, and like the, the quality is not quite um, that of a, a studio produced. Um, event, but as we're saying, with everything else uh, falling off at the moment, it's sort of the the only show in town. And there's been some some great case studies of you know, the Formula One pivoting into a e Formula One um, a model, and yeah, just getting getting huge viewership, um, which is uh, yeah, which is quite exciting uh, for, from our point of view. And the the broadcasters all have massive holes in their programming at the moment, so lots of conversations going on at the moment how that how uh, esports can can plug that gap um, and likewise for, for brands and sponsors they've they've paid for a lot of assets that just aren't there so we're chatting with a lot of um traditional sports bodies at the moment is how we can sort of partner up with esports to to sort of try and make some make goods for, for deliverables they have for their brand partners um and there's some yeah just some very casual examples of like at, at twickenham stadium uh, it's a home of england rugby as well as our team excel so some of the rugby players are league of legends players so they had a game against our excel staff and yeah, Sky Sports is writing about it. It's just even just a casual throw together match. It's just a everyone's so star for content at the moment. It, it it does reasonably well. Yeah, absolutely. It's crazy how much it's grown. Even since I remember even when I was in high school, I started hearing about people watching esports. I didn't really understand it, but now it's growing so much. And you're hearing about at least teams in North America starting to acquire esports teams and having some of their own. Do you think maybe ever in the future that it get to the point where esports grow so much that a traditional sport might become a subsidiary of an esports team. Uh, yeah, I think it, it will, but it's all about the timeline. Um, I think everyone thinks esports is bigger than it is in the short term, but probably underestimates how big it's going to be in the long term. Um, you know, I, I just see it as a, as a demographic shift, and obviously, I've got a foot in both camps, and and in some ways, I find it quite sad the sort of decline of traditional sport. Um, I think there's like the, the really big ones, like the the Premier League football and the NFL, like that the, the, they're not going to be too uh too shaky in the sh in the short term but I, I think it's a lot of those second tier and third tier sports are going to find it harder and harder to, to be sustainable and, and i think it's just because the this new generation coming through uh, are are more engaged in the in the digital environment and, and gaming um i think the when i've worked in traditional sports the average age of a, a fan almost gets one year older every year um and you've really got that aging demographic in in sports like football and then Stuff like golf and tennis is horrendous. You're, you're you're almost into retirement. Your your average ages for for the for the fans of those sports. Um, whereas esports, I think people are staying with it. So the the sort of the, the upper limit of that range goes up one year every year, but it's still filling the bottom of the funnel. So I think esports numbers are going to continue to grow. And there's there's definitely a link between participation and fandom. And uh, there's obviously limits to the number of um, 
people playing particularly contact sports at the moment uh, versus uh, esports. So I think there's 100 million monthly active players or so. And there's probably more now of of League of Legends, and they're also they're getting viewership of about that same number for for big events like the World Championships. So um, yeah, I think the numbers are off the charts, and and just getting more and more participants, which will then hopefully flow through to um, being fans of the the broadcast and the professional uh, professional scene. Yeah, absolutely. That's it's crazy to think how how many people are playing esports now. It's like you're saying, 100 million people, and probably even more now during these crazy times. You kind of touched on brands and sponsorships. So looking at maybe a more traditional sports team, whether it's a hockey team here in Ottawa, where one of the biggest issues may be attendance and getting people to come and attend the game. What is something that is the largest challenge that an esports team may face is it branding, sponsorships, or is it something else? Viewership. Uh, to be honest, it's education. I think like the numbers are there. It's just people just don't understand the numbers, and it's in a new environment. So people, uh, brand marketing managers, they 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 trust the the Nielsen numbers, uh, and like we all know, the methodology for calculating ratings isn't great. But it's just like apples for apples comparison, and they they feel like they get so many tarps by buying certain sections or certain ads on certain on certain programming um so I, I think just people are, are far more comfortable operating in the the traditional environment at the moment whereas esports and like is you, people pump it up and you, you you talk about these massive global numbers but it's very hard to distill it down to for, for a brand particularly a, a localized brand in in ottawa like by by having a million people watching one of my team's games at, at the world championships how is that actually driving my business over here when a lot of those eyeballs are in China, and I think at the, at the moment, like you think, being the digital environment, it'll be very easy to actually sort of track and understand who's watching it. But it's actually um, it's actually hard just because the fragmentation of the market and everyone dis- disintermediated from the viewers and the fans by your platforms, be it be it Twitch or YouTube or by your social media platforms, be it be it Facebook or Twitter. And uh, it's not just an esports problem; it's a, a problem more more broadly. Is actually having the data to understand your fan base and your, and your viewership and um, I think TV is doing it just because it, it, ex, it extrapolates a long way from from ratings and segmentations. And, and to, to, be, to be honest, I don't think it's particularly accurate, but it's just sort of something that is a is a great baseline comparison. But at the moment, just because it's evolved so quickly and got so big, um, it's easy to dazzle with these big numbers, but it's very hard to sort of distill it down to, to the relevant pieces for brands. So I, I think actually just sort of understanding your own numbers is one of the biggest challenges for, for esports. And then... Um, at the moment, obviously, it's been set back a bit at the moment uh, with the current uh, environment. But um, esports is moving towards that traditional sports model of of live events. Um, so the Overwatch World Leagues are a great example, where it's the first truly global league where people are hosting home home games, and you've got teams in in China and in Europe, sort of the, the London Spitfire versus um, uh, sort of LA LA Valiant, etc. Versus uh, yeah. Shanghai Dragons or whatever, so there's a um, uh, it's a genuine global league which is have basically bitten off a fair bit because uh, I guess all the travel and um, again people think because it's esports anyone can play online, but there's there's sort of lag um, on the on the um, on the lines that connect up all the all the cities around the world, so it's not possible to sit in Sydney and play a, a competitive game against a team in London. Just and it's not a it's not a technology problem; it's a speed of light problem. Just the Signals can't get around the world and back again fast enough to um, for the players not to be affected by the sort of the lag and reaction time. So, um, so yeah, I think just 
trying to, to take on that live model with stadium events and, and moving teams all around the world is a is a true challenge. But uh, if, if it gets cracked, then it's um, it's going to be phenomenal. Yeah, absolutely. You you touched on educating people on about esports and such. Do you want to maybe touch on what you guys are doing to maybe educate or market to people to kind of look into esports a bit more than they are now? Yeah, um, I said I'm always having uh, coffee chats and I'm very open to chatting to anyone. But yeah, the most efficient way is actually things like this. Actually, speaking on podcasts or in conferences and. Um, yeah, I get rolled out in the conference circuit quite a bit, um, but it's actually yeah much easier uh, educating sort of five hundred people at a time rather than uh, do, doing it one on one over coffee. So I, I think, um, and particularly, I, I guess the the, the slightly grey haired people like myself um, make it a little bit easier. We've got the context of traditional sports, etc., to to um, to win over the uh, I guess the, the middle aged people who actually are the holders of the budgets that we we, we need to get hold of with brands or broadcasters, etc. So. Um, yeah, it's, it's actually sort of really trying to get the uh, the oldies, uh, explain it to the oldies uh, in a way, but who, who really understand the context of the the, uh, the the younger demographic who are who are the, the core market, both um, from from delivering it and uh, consuming it. So yeah, it's a uh, but it, it's a challenge. Um, but we, we make a lot of progress. But it's sort of just breaking down the stereotypes of yeah. That overweight loners sitting in basements playing games, as opposed to this actually being, um, yeah, very professional and elite and um, aspirational for for this generation. And not everyone wants to be a a football star. Some people want to be a, a pro gamer. And um, obviously, commercially, we're trying to win over brands and broadcasters on that on that narrative. But also for parents, we sort of is there's different generations of esports players. And the I think the old the, the old generation and some of those are still around are the kids that got kicked out of home because they were spent so much time playing games and were very unsupportive parents. Whereas if you look at sort of the latest generation we've got coming through, they could be doctors, lawyers, traders, anything they want to, but they're, they're choosing um, to be a professional esports player as a, as a vocation and uh, are, um, are, are really supported by their parents. So, um, yeah, I, I think the, the times are changing and it, I think it's, it's just changing so rapidly. I guess traditional sports evolved over a hundred plus years, whereas the, the rate of change and growth in esports is just phenomenal, which is, which is why it's so exciting. Yeah, they absolutely are changing so quickly because when I was starting university in 2016, it was kind of just, like you mentioned earlier, it was kind of just starting up. And now that I'm completed university and I was getting ready to en- uh, enter a traditional sport organization and do their marketing, it kind of seems like, if that is that the best long-term plan? What, what Where can I go and grow with the team as well? So I was kind of interested, maybe what, what are some ways that someone like myself who doesn't know a ton about esports to get involved with a, an organization or a league yeah I, I think it's what you said earlier is, is right just having coffee chats doing things like, such as podcasts i know a, a few people who are um yeah it's just jumped in and it's the best way to build out a network it's it's just like anything but particularly um particularly sports and esports it's it's actually getting to know people and, and having chats and, and understanding the industry um and uh particularly in north america but i think it's globally the the best way is actually to get in there and be it in internship or or part time work or voluntary work. It's sort of the, the, the challenge is esports and even traditional sports as massive as brands go, but is actually quite uh, mum and dad shop almost behind the behind the scenes. And there's not a lot of um there's not a lot of um um capital for for too many uh, salaries on the wage bill in a lot of cases, particularly outside of the major franchise leagues. So. I think it's a matter of just jumping in and, uh, and creating some value um, and then sort of moving up through the ranks from there and, and going from your 
your voluntary roles into your into your sort of your, your casual part time roles before um hopefully finding a something that's actually a a um sort of more of a a chunky full time piece. But there's um yeah it's it's a rapidly evolving industry and I said if you're in early and um and getting that experience then um yeah there's a there's definitely a lot of uh, potential to to move through the ranks because I, I think one of the challenges at the moment is like we're getting some really good experienced people and I think it's important to draw them in from outside esports, but we also sort of need the the younger um, uh, sector experts as well. Um, and it's about creating that that, that combination. Um, and yeah, I, and I think yeah, finally is is attitude. Um, uh, we uh, we uh, worked at the NRL. We had a, a lot of people come over from the uh, the US, and we got some expertise from the Aspire Group, who are a US based uh, firm, and they, they do a lot of the NCAA sales and all that. And I actually like a lot of the the North American model, whereas entry points often sales, and uh, I think sales is actually um, a great a great hire to be able to justify because there's a, a direct ROI, um, and it actually sort of shows understanding of the the product and and the hustle and the uh, I guess to sell something you need to actually understand it, and um, and it actually shows a a real um a real desire and aptitude to to throw yourself into something and um and make things happen, which uh which is yeah. Something I'm more and more coming around onto in esports. It's just it's such a exciting space with so many things happening. Um, you can sit there and talk all day strategically about all the all the amazing possibilities. But what really differentiates the the, the great people in in the space and the great organisations is actually executing and and making things happen. So, um, yeah, my my advice is be a doer and um come in and um just remove headaches of people by, by getting things done. And then if you uh, prove yourself competent where you can just be handed something and, uh, and make it happen, then um, yeah, there'll, there'll definitely be um, a place for you in the industry. Yeah, that's great advice. And the whole thing you're saying about being a doer, I kind of want to just touch on, let's say maybe somewhere like Ottawa or Montreal or Toronto, where there's not really huge esports teams yet. And there are established traditional sports teams, whether it's hockey, baseball, basketball, et cetera. Maybe what's one way that you think someone that's starting off that wants to kind of create value for that organization when they enter and they kind of want to start a project that's not already established, like an esports project? What's something that they could maybe do to help further a traditional sports team's presence in esports? Yeah, I, I sometimes mock it, but it's actually quite advantageous for, for some of your um your listeners potentially. Um Generally, the youngest person in the office gets earmarked the esports expert, and then gets thrown an esports project. So, um, uh, yeah, I, I think it's a huge because there's uh, people in traditional sports are now understanding that esports is a massive opportunity, but just don't understand it. And as I keep coming back to the the, the grey-haired people, uh, unless they've got kids playing it um, themselves, um, probably don't understand it. So, it is a chance to differentiate yourself with a with an esports project and. Uh, everyone, I think everyone, all the boards, whether it's brands or traditional sports, sort of asking what's our esports strategy. We need an esports strategy, but what they're actually saying is we need a, a strategy to engage a younger a younger audience because our our, our fan base, our customer base, is is, is aging. Um, I think esports is just the um, the uh, the catch all term for that. Um, but yeah, so I think as with always, start with the problem, um, and, and if you're looking at a traditional sports organization is, is sort of coming to don't say I'm going to do something for you in esports actually says come up with why are you doing something in esports and I think the way to frame it is I'm going to come up with a way to help us engage with a, a younger fan base or, or, or capture data from a younger fan base or um, 
uh, connect our brand to um, some some young people who who aren't um, aren't traditionally um, turning up to our games, etc. So I, I think you you frame it as a as a solution for a problem for the traditional sports um, club rather than just saying um, I, I can do something for your esports. And then as for what that thing is, uh, I think there are some games which have a, uh, a direct crossover with the traditional um, sport, which is a lazy way to do it. But yeah, EA Sports FIFA, obviously for soccer, Madden for NFL, um, NBA 2K for, for basketball. But something like hockey, I, like, I, I think there is a, a hockey title, but I wouldn't say it's, it's mainstream in the esports world. So um, I think the key is actually to, to use crossover with the athletes gaming to engage with the audience. Um, and like you've seen the famous case study of Drake um, working with um with ninja which just went, went huge and like drake was the camera wasn't even on drake he was just just talking with with ninja on on mic while, while ninja was playing so uh, we've, we've done a lot of similar things where we've just had traditional sports athletes playing Fortnite or whatever with um some of our sports pros and it's, it's great content it brings the the fan bases of the the, the two different groups together um and, and so sort of the esports fans and the traditional sports fans are, are looking at one of the heroes playing with someone from the other um from from the other side, so uh, I, I think yeah, just crossover stuff like that. It doesn't actually need to be a sports sim of your own sport. Um, but those sort of things can actually sort of be that easy first step. Um, but yeah, I, as with everything, is how do you turn them to dollars down the track? Um, it, it's traditionally been a bit harder, but as I was saying uh, earlier on, at the moment there's a lot of um, sponsor money uh, against assets that, that aren't available. So um, right at this moment, it's a really uh, great time to be creative and just think of. What you can do to create content, which uh, you can attach an existing brand to, and and deliver them some value to make sure your um, force majeure or your act of God's uh, clauses in the contracts aren't uh, aren't wiping out your budget. Yeah, that's all great advice and stuff. I'm I'm all going to try applying going forward. And you're touching on a huge gamer such as Ninja and how big of an impact he had, especially with someone who's like Drake, who's a little more mainstream. Um, just in terms of myself, I have an interest in starting a sports marketing agency maybe one day down the line and speaking about esports i think one of the more more important things of having this agency is its longevity depends on the clients you bring in and obviously having pro gamers is important and obviously there's gamers like ninja who are now known globally but maybe there's many more that we're not aware of and what kind of gamers should someone who has a sports marketing firm look for or how marketable do you think they really are? Yeah, it's interesting. And I guess it's important to differentiate, even though they're related, gamers versus streamers or influencers. Um, and at the moment, so, so Ninja was a, a pro at Halo a long time ago, but like, uh, not not throwing shade at him. He's, he's not a great Fortnite player, to be honest, but what he is is incredibly articulate. Um, <laughs> and uh, he, like, you're never going to see him dominate the world champs or anything. So, so what makes him great isn't the fact... Like, The, the thing about Fortnite is... Um, it's uh, you're throwing together a bunch of anim- amateurs. So if you're a good player, you can run around st- styling on them, doing trick shots. But um, yeah, once you get to the sort of the, the top competitive environment, when you're all good, it actually gets a little bit more boring, and they're playing a lot more strategically, hiding in corners. So, but uh, I think the point is, you can be a a really good esports pro. And one of the problems with the esports pro is you want to actually hide your tactics and your tricks and your skills. So um, there are a, f- a few out there that cross over the big streamers and and, and big pros, but Pros spend so much time training and, and obviously behind closed doors because they don't want um, other people to, to see their tactics. Um, that they, they, they get a lot of time to stream and it's about consistency of streaming to, to, to build your numbers up. Um, 
and I think the streamers are more influencers. It's more about your personality on on camera. Um, so like in League of Legends, there's Tyler One, and there's a few who are, who are just yeah, they're genuine entertainers. That they're funny to watch, and they're just playing playing background games in the background, and and they are quite good at playing them. But um, yeah, you you need to either be really really good um, and a pro player. But uh, the majority of the people who are making a lot a lot of money in in that space are um, are more influencers and, and more personalities rather than um, rather than the fact that they're good at playing the game. So uh, I, I think it's esports is more, almost moving more into is moving moving more towards the traditional sports model, whereas a lot of the gamers and the streamers are, are moving towards that entertainment um, influencer model, and they're they're probably closer to the Kardashians than your your um, <laughs> than your Terry on Rees or whatever your North American uh, uh, equivalent is in the uh, in, in the sports. Yeah, yeah, I know Keanu is pretty big here as well, surprisingly. But uh, yeah, no, that's all great stuff. And um, maybe one of the last things I kind of want to ask you is, do you have any maybe interesting stories working in esports that you'd like to share? Um, yeah, there's plenty of interesting stories. I'm not sure which ones I uh, want to go uh, go uh, go out public with. But yeah, I, I think it's um, it's, it's an amazing chance to to travel the world and see a lot of stuff. Like, like interestingly enough, I was at the World Championships in. Wuhan a couple of years ago, um, our, our team, the Die Wolves, were in the League of Legends World Champs, and the, the playing rounds were there, which is now obviously famous for being the epicenter of the uh, the, the current pandemic. But uh, yeah, it was just phenomenal f- flying in there, and uh, it was one of those ghost cities. Like this is before because they had such a such a boom of construction, and like it was just there was a a, a city of uh, yeah, tens of millions basically of empty skyscrapers going around, and it was just it was actually quite eerie. It was in this massive uh, in- complex of Hilton with uh, eight entertainment centers around with nothing in them, et cetera. And um, yeah, the, we're sort of, we're there one, sort of uh, one, uh, one time of the year. Then prior to that, we're in, in Sao Paulo and uh, again, traveling around the, uh, traveling around the world with a, a bunch of young kids who'd never actually left the country from Australia. Um, just did it. This is actually the first international tour we did and did it horrendously. Like, I, I don't know who booked the flights, but, Decided to go for the cheapest one, which was um, somewhere with Sydney, Hong Kong, Hong Kong, Dubai, Dubai, Sao Paulo, which was ended up about a, a thirty-four hour flight, and um, booked uh, sort of two three days before the event started, and so we had players uh, effectively falling asleep on stage, jet lagged, etc. So uh, I think it's that it, it's an absolute uh, shit show sometimes when you uh, <laughs> when you uh, look at the early early stages of it, and then sort of moving through the 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 levels of professionalism it's um it's quite funny what you see where like particularly early on when you've got a bunch of 21 year old kids trying to organize a um a uh, a massive program seeing seeing uh being being viewed by like we had 52 million people watch one of our games um and yeah i, I guess it's just that this incredible mass audience and you'd think that the levels of professionalism off the charts um it's starting to get there with some of the bigger publishers but yeah in, in the early days it's um yeah it's like I, I don't know how old you are, but it's just like I remember when I was, yeah, twenty twenty one, all living in a shared house. It was a, it was absolute carnage. And then you, these days, we're trying to turn that into a, into a professional environment. And so yeah, you're walking, you're walking through the door, and the, yeah, there's just bags of rubbish in, in, in the middle of the floor, and a, a, a dryer that hasn't worked for, a, for for three weeks or whatever. So there's definitely a lot of glamour on the front. Um, but yeah, in the background, it, it's it's quite funny sometimes. It's a, just a, a bunch of kids who are just as hopeless um, in a lot of aspects of their um, 
of the domestic life as, as uh, most people are at that age. And so, yeah, it's a, uh, it's a challenge. You spend a lot of time being a, uh, a, a high level commercial mentor and then, yeah, a lot of time just being a basic mum sometimes to them. So it's a, uh, it's a, um, yeah, it's a, that's why I find it so fun. It's, it's sort of like, you really got to roll your sleeves up. I'm sort of uh, chairman, uh, chairman of some team franchises that yeah have, Eight figures invested in them, and then yeah, the the, the next day you, you you're plugging computers and uh, hauling around chairs into other rooms, etc. It's uh, it, I I really enjoy it because it's a uh, yeah, there's a lot of high level um, sports business happening, but you just need to be able to work up and down the chain and be that chameleon. And uh, unfortunately, it's it's not well resourced enough, or um, despite all the money going into it, or uh, we don't have the experience into there. Sometimes you have to to work with the the real basics of um, yeah. How do you cook your dinner before you move on to how do we get a, uh, a multi-million dollar sponsorship? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's all good stuff. Um, thanks for sharing that. And maybe just maybe one last thing to finally wrap it up. Do you have any tips or advice, whether it's in people's careers or in life, that you'd like to share? I, I'd, I'd use your, uh, as a Canadian, your, the, the Wayne Gretzky uh, or a hockey fan, the Wayne Gretzky analysis, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. I'm, um, yeah, I'm such a believer in that. It's sort of... Um, uh, yeah, I, again, it's like I, I think fake it till you make it is, is taking it a bit far. But um, yeah, I, I think just just throw yourself into anything and, and have a crack at it. And and particularly in esports, no one's got the answer at the moment. So you get in there and try something, and um, yeah, see how you go. And yeah, it's uh, make sure you make sure you're working with good people. But um, yeah, the, don't don't be afraid of getting out of your depth and uh, and trying to work it out on the fly because that's almost what the uh, entire industry is doing at the moment. So um, yeah, and just Get out there, chat to people, start meeting people, and um, yeah, again, if you, with with persistence, you'll uh, you, you'll you'll get there. Of uh, yeah, I, I'm constantly in jobs I'm not qualified for, and then uh, uh, before you know it, you're overqualified. Overqualified, so it's uh, yeah, it's a it's a, such a rapid, rapidly evolving space. As long as you can evolve with it, or or ideally faster than it, then um, yeah, that's the uh, the best way to approach it. No, that's all fantastic stuff, and thank you for taking the time to to speak on the podcast and. I hope to speak again soon. No worries. Thanks for having me on. That concludes the second interview of the Route Podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. And I hope you guys gained some valuable insight into the world of esports and really gave you a little something to think about of where the world of sports may be going and how you can get involved or what you could do in your current positions if you're in one with a traditional sports team as well. So one last thing, I just want to thank Dave Harris again for being on the podcast and kind of sharing all this different knowledge that we probably wouldn't be able to pick up on our own. And additionally, if you have any comments or suggestions or maybe want to connect, you can always reach me at Nascimento Marketing, so N-A-S-C-I-M-E-N-T-O-M-K-T-G on Twitter or Instagram or just find me on LinkedIn and I'd love to speak or chat. And just finally, subscribe to The Route and I hope you guys stay tuned for next week. See ya.